I want to uh, introduce our speaker for today and uh, read the scripture for us. Uh, as you know, we are um, this month focusing on the third part of our mission statement, advancing the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we feel like that fits well with uh, graduates because you are all advancing to some new portion, new season of your life, and we're celebrating how God is going to continue to use you in the, in the steps ahead. And so uh, as we do that, I invited a, a dear brother of mine, good friend, Ronnie Marmel, to preach for us today. Uh, Ronnie and I uh, both served the same church in Spartanburg, but at different times. Uh, it was the, my, home, my, my church in college uh, that just had such a, a big impact on my life. And then after seminary, uh, they, they just really continued to invest in me even as I moved away to seminary and then moved back. And then as I moved back, I um, got to know Ronnie. He was serving as a missions pastor there and doing great things for the kingdom. And really was just so gracious with his time, taught me so much. He has no obligation to me. Uh, and yet multiple times invited me in his office. And I'm asking questions about how do we equip the church for missions? Where do we go? How do we do this? And uh, he's just so gracious to me. And God's used him in so many great ways. Uh, last year, uh, one of the mission partners that, that the church in Spartanburg had uh, invited him to come on their staff, and so he transitioned uh, to a new role about last summer, last July, I think that was, and uh, so he's going to tell you a little bit about their ministry, uh, and now he continues to serve the Lord and the kingdom, uh, but in this new capacity uh, through Frontline Missions. Uh, Ronnie's got an incredible testimony. I, I don't know how much that's going to come in his message. I didn't ask him to, I just asked him to preach. But uh, he is from the Dominican Republic, grew up in Florida, drafted uh, in the major leagues, but went to play at uh, College of Charleston. And then God used a, a, quite a variety of circumstances, including an injury, uh, to get his attention and put him on fire for the Lord. And so he has been serving the kingdom in all kinds of powerful ways uh, for quite a number of years now. He's here with his family, Liz, and their three children. So thank you all for worshiping with us today. We appreciate I know it's, it's a lot for you all to come and, uh, and jump around to different places. So thank you for your time and generosity in worshiping with us today. I'm going to read the passage he picked for us today and then invite Ronnie to come and preach for us. So this is John 10, verses 14 to 16. Let's hear God's word. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Am I on? Yes, great. Well, what a joy to be here. It is a privilege and an honor um, to be a part of this morning's service. And I'm just grateful that my dear brother has given me the opportunity to shepherd the sheep through the teaching of his word. That's not something we take lightly. So I want to say thank you for having us, having my family and I, and thank you for the opportunity to dive into God's word together with you. Let me pray for us real quick. And then let's dive into what God has for us. Father, we rejoice again in everything you're doing in our lives today. It is much grace, unbounded grace, that allows us to be here. Father, we can worship freely. We have Bibles in our hands. We can study the scriptures 
we can leave here today knowing that we have the freedom to do that. There are places right now where that's not possible. Maybe because there, there are no Bibles, no churches, no Christians. And people need to come to know you, Father. So I pray this morning that you will anoint the teaching of your word, that you will anoint the hearing of your word, and that you, Holy Spirit, would apply in our hearts. Speak, Holy Spirit, speak. Father, I am a flawed man. I am limited in the flesh, but Father, I pray that you would just help me decrease, that you will increase, that people may see Christ. I will teach and I will trust you to do what only you can do without imperfection as a man. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, you saw we're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16. And I just want to tell you how grateful I am to be here because as I started diving over the last few weeks through what you're going through, this emphasis on mission emphasis on loving our neighbors and the nations, I got so excited. For the last decade, I served as a missions pastor at a church in Spartanburg here and um, by God's grace, last, back in 2021, they asked me, the organization that I work for now, Frontline Missions, asked if I would consider coming on staff with them and as one of their directors, and I said no. Um, and they came back and they said, would you at least pray about it? And I don't want to be that pastor that doesn't pray. So I said, all right, look, I'll honor, and I'll honor that. I'll pray. I'll invite our elders to pray with us and with me, um, and we'll see what the Lord does. And in six months after that, we felt in unity that it was time to transition off staff and go on staff with Frontline Missions International. And I love what I get to do now as well. I, I'm grateful for that. So when I heard about what you're doing, I went back and heard the, the last two messages and the first message coming from 2 Corinthians, being ambassadors of Christ, chapter 5. And then last week, Acts, chapter 10, where in every, every nation needs the gospel. Every people, cross-cultural lines need to be crossed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that. But not only that, I love your mission statement. Because this is, this is your DNA that's going to... It's going to help you make decisions as a followers of Christ. As a part of Infinity Church, and your mission statement says that you exist to applaud God, to abide in Jesus Christ, and to advance His kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Praise God. I, I just pray that you will keep that in front of you nonstop, that you will pray over that for your life and for the church's life, that you will be intentional about those three things and keep it before the Lord so that you do not drift from that. Here's the thing. Everything we do in our lives, everything, should be for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. Everything. I hope that's what our students here are hearing and those that have degrees and those, even the little ones, that one day they will be launched into this war, into this world. As followers of Jesus, we hope that they will be used to the glory of God. 
And parents, let me just tell you, we cannot grow up or let our children grow up saying we pray, God, that you would do everything possible, that you would use them mightily. And when your child is in an adult and says, I'm going to Iraq, do we say, no, 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 not that. Not that. We got to be serious about advancing the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we are to live and die to know Jesus and to make him known. This is the cost of the Christian. This is the mission and the task of the church. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day, one day we will give account of whether we were truly immersed into that calling or indifferent to it. So what do we do? We got to keep it before God saying, God, how am I, how am I doing in this? How am I doing in this advancing of the kingdom right here where you have us into the ends of the earth? What's my role in that? What's my role? How can I be faithful in loving our neighbors and the nation? So today we're going to look at unbounded grace. This unbounded grace that is for me, it is for us, and it is for them who have never heard. So if you're taking notes today, I'm going to keep it real simple. I'm not going to get cute with this. I'm going to keep it real simple. And we're just going to look at what the scripture says. Okay? And we're going to do three things. We're going to read three verses, look at two observations, and one application. Three verses, two observations, one application. Simple enough? Let's do it. Now, this is one of my favorite areas of scriptures. It's very dear to my heart, and I'll explain it a little bit. Very dear in regards to my personal testimony and my background as well. But let me give you some context. Let me give a little bit of background up about what's about to happen here in chapter 10. So in chapter 10, we begin with Jesus having a heart-to-heart conversation with the Jewish Pharisees. And this conversation grows out of a miracle that happened at the end of chapter 9, where Jesus spits on the dirt rubs it, he grabs, makes mud, and rubs it on a blind man who was born blind, rubs it on his face, and heals the man. Well, this infuriates the religious crowd, the Pharisees. It infuriates, which, by the way, let me just tell you that Jesus' agenda will always, always make religious people mad. His vision and his agenda will always make the religious people mad because they have their own agenda, not his agenda. But by the time we get to chapter 10, we begin to see Jesus have this heart-to-heart conversation. And he, he begins to give an illustration that's very familiar to them. It's an illustration that comes from an analogy of a shepherd and his sheep. I encourage you to go back and read the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. But it is an analogy and it, and it explains how a shepherd knows his sheep, cares for his sheep, guides his sheep, protects his sheep... And they follow his voice. Now, the point Jesus is trying to make here is with the Pharisees, it comes from the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. And the point he's trying to make is that he's warning, warning the Pharisees and the Jewish crowd about false shepherds. All right. So basically what he's doing is pointing to himself as the fulfillment of that prophecy. And in John 10, he says one of the seven I am statements in the book of John. He says, I am the good Shepherd. Now, this is really important that he says, I am the good shepherd. Because understanding who he is, we begin to understand in whose we are. In understanding who Jesus is, we begin to see whose we are. 
And here's the important thing about that. When we begin to embrace who he is and whose we are, it changes everything about our lives. It changes everything. Because our obedience to what he says will always depend on who we believe he is. Always. The way we respond to Jesus will depend on how we view Jesus. It always comes back to, do I really trust and believe in who he says he is? Now let's dive into the text. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now the word here, know, that word is much more than just some intellectual knowledge or awareness, okay? It comes from an intimate relationship between God and his people. It's the same word that is used in John 17, 3, when Jesus is praying before his betrayal. And he's praying to the Father, and he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Now, Jesus is making a point here that I just don't want the disciples and my people, I just don't want them to be aware of who I am. No, no, no. I want them to know that I know every little detail about who they are. It reminds me of in the early Jewish days, every night shepherds would bring their flock, their sheep, into the village sheepfold, and it would look like this. It was an enclosure made of stones of rocks piled up with an opening in the door. And to protect their sheep from the wolves and to protect their sheep from uh, thieves or sheep wandering around, the shepherd would lay down across the opening. He would be the door to protect the sheep. And it wasn't unusual for several shepherds to come and bring their flocks into the same fold. And then the next morning... The shepherd would get up and make this distinct call, and his sheep would recognize the voice. And they would walk out one by one, and they would follow him. It's like when your kids, if, you have, if you're a parent, you have kids, and no matter, the, no, no matter how large the crowd is, when I tell, when my kids, if I say, Sophia, in a large crowd, my little head perks up. It perks up right away. They know she knows my voice. She knows the father's voice. Well, it's the same thing here, okay? One of the beautiful truths that we see here in this text is that Christ knowing his sheep is put before us knowing him. I love the way the text says it. It says, I know my own, and my own know me. And to remove any doubt, any doubt whatsoever of how much Jesus loves his sheep and cares for his sheep, he says this, in verse 15, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a game changer. And I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a game changer. Listen, there are people in our block. There are people in our neighborhoods, people throughout this city and to the nations and the ends of the earth who need to know and hear how much Jesus has done for us and how much he's willing to do for them. They need to hear that. But the message of Christianity is not Jesus loves you. The message of Christianity is a crucified, resurrected, reigning Savior showing us how he loves us. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I laid down my life for his sheep. So my question, my question to us this morning, to you this morning is, do you know and trust this good shepherd? I'm not asking, do you know about him? 
Many people sit in churches and they know about Jesus without knowing Jesus. I'm not asking you, do you know about him? I'm asking, does your life reflect a life fully surrendered to the crucified, resurrected, reigning Savior? Does it? I was born in the Dominican Republic, raised in Miami, Florida. Yep, I heard a whoop-whoop here. <laughs> but born in the DR, in the Dominican Republic, religion is baseball. <laughs> to be Dominican, amen, right? To be Dominican means to be a baseball player. And it's crazy because my wife makes fun of me. My wife gets so concerned. She's like, did you ever have any toys growing up? All you did was play baseball. And I said, I did have toys. I had a glove, a bat, and a ball. She says, but you don't even know any songs, any children. I said, take me out to the ball. I, I know songs. I don't need to know anything else. I know baseball. That's what it meant to be Dominican. At the age of seven, I found myself on a plane with my family, airplane, to the United States. And I remember sitting there. The crew came out. They were about to give breakfast. I knew two words in English, yes and no. And they pass out the menu, and you're supposed to, no pictures. You're supposed to pick out what you wanted for breakfast. And I just, I didn't know, so I just pointed to something. And the next thing I know, they bring me what they call French toast. And I remember taking a bite of that French toast, and I remember looking at my brothers, and I was saying, I'm going to love America. Like, <laughs> this is good stuff. Crazy thing about that is that till this day, and most Saturdays in our house, Dad cooks French toast for the kids, so... It's dear. It's dear. But grew up in Miami, drafted out of high school, went to college, had some success. In 2001, my last season, which was my most important season, my senior year, right before, three weeks before the season started, I was a catcher, I was making a throw, and I hear a loud pop on my shoulder. You got to understand, there was one thing I wanted to do in life, and that was to be a major league baseball player, and no one was going to stop me from doing that. No one. I grew up in a Catholic, cultural Catholic home. Christ was not important. It was just something that you did. Go to church sometimes. That's about it. So my plans were to be a major league baseball player. Well, I went to the doctor that same afternoon. They scanned. Before you know it, I had four screws put in my shoulder. They shaved my bone. They, they had to retie my entire labrum. Never came back from the injury to be able to play again. The one thing I knew how to do and do it well got taken away from me. And I got really bitter and angry. And I remember there were people who say, oh, God has great plans for you. And I remember saying, I want nothing to do with your God. Angry, embittered, graduated in 2001, started working for the college that I went to. And in the office that I worked, there was a student worker there. And this girl and all her friends were always so happy. And she would just be there. And I wanted to get to know her. And she wanted nothing to do with me. And she would say, just talk about just Jesus. And she, she says, I love Jesus. And that's the only thing that matters to me. That's the only relationship I want. And I was like, but I, I want to take you on a date. She's like, I want nothing to do with you. The only relationship that I wanted was my relationship with Jesus. And I said, but I love Jesus. And she says, you don't know Jesus. And she would share the gospel and share the gospel over and over again. And she would introduce me to some of her friends who were the ones that she was being discipled through a college ministry. And one day they invited me to a meeting. October 30th, 2001, I'm sitting in a room similar to this. 
looking and hearing a guy preach from John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, he goes to explain who this good shepherd is. And in John chapter 10, he goes to explain that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And he goes to explain that God had this perfect plan for me. And I rebelled from his perfect plan. And anytime I rebel from God's plan and try to do it on my own, it's called sin. And the more I try to do it on my own, the more broken I end up. And then I saw where I try to fix it, numb my problems, the things that I've caused with other problems. And he went to tell me that, you know what, there's no way for you to fix what you have broken. Jesus comes and you may have life and have it to the fullest. That is the only way. And I was so overwhelmed by that gospel that I ran out of the meeting that night. I dropped to my knees in my apartment. I surrendered to the good shepherd. October 30th, 2001, the good shepherd opened my eyes and my heart. And I truly believe that God had to remove the idol of baseball so that I may see the beauty of his cross. That girl 20-something years later now is my wife and the mother of our children. And every time I tell that story, it gets me. I told myself I was not going to cry. <laughs> but it gets me. That's what the gospel does. When the gospel transforms you, it should break you. And we see this unbounded gospel that someone else brought it to me. It didn't stay with them, and I praise God for that. What about you? Do you know this good shepherd? Do you? First 15 verses, it's about that. It's about a good shepherd who saves the sheep, lays down his life, calls him by name, gives him eternal life. And if you're in Christ today, an amen will go right there. It would go right there. If you are in Christ today, this should be very comforting that his grace, his undeserved love and forgiveness has come to you. Very assuring news for those that are inside of the sheep pen. But to make sure that this unbounded grace did not get hoarded or bounded to just a specific chosen few, the good shepherd says this next. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, which leads us to our first observation, which is there are other sheep. There are other sheep. What he's talking about here is showing us that this unbounded grace is confined it's not confined. It should never be confined to just a specific few. It's not confined to certain people or geographically bound to a certain region. And that is beautiful to hear. This verse implies that the sheep are, they're sheep that are not a part of the Jewish fold. And they scatter among the Gentiles outside of the covenant of Israel. And over the last couple of weeks, you, you, you heard your pastor. You know, you heard Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts 10, Paul to the Gentiles to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. In Acts 13, John explains his word of prophecy from the high priest Caiaphas in John 11 and says this. He did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Isaiah 56, verses 7 and 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. 
I love this. It's an unbounded grace that goes beyond ourselves. It's for me. It's for us. It's for them that have never heard. And don't miss the words here, I have. There was a verse in the last song that we sang to that. I have. Jesus is not here just saying, man, I want other sheep. Jesus is not here saying, you know what, I would like other sheep. I desire other sheep. It would be nice to have it. No, he says, I have other sheep. So he removes this idea of God's people just kind of wandering around, and Jesus just hoping that they respond to his voice. That's not the case. It's not like he's going to tell his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. Let's see if it works out. He's not saying that. He says, hey, I have scattered sheep. Go get my sheep. I have scattered sheep. Revelation 5.9. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Infinity Church, are we gripped by this truth? Are we gripped? Do we read this and say, if that is true, which it is, and I need to be a part of that, God. I need to be a part of that. Because your blood was shed for me and for people, ransom people. You ransom them from every tribe and language and people and nation. And I need to be a part of that as a follower of Jesus Christ. Are we gripped? But are our eyes fixed on this? Helen Keller. If you know Helen Keller? Helen Keller was an accomplished American author, educator, and disability rights advocate. She's known as the first blind and deaf person to effectively communicate with the sighted and hearing world. At 19 months old, she lost her sight and hearing after a bout of illness. But growing up deaf and blind, in 1904, Helen Keller graduated magna cum laude from Radcliffe College. Toward the end of her extraordinary life, which was filled with accomplishments that people did not even predict, she made this statement. There is some, there's one thing worse than being blind. It's being able to see yet having no vision. Having no vision. I believe this text gives the church our mission strategy, but it also encourages us in our missionary efforts. It does both. And in John 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are of this fold. It says, I must bring them also. I have and I must. Which points us to our second observation. They must be reached. I told you I was not going to get fancy with this. There are other sheep. <laughs> Jesus says, go get them. They must be reached. I love those two words. I must bring them also because if God was not in charge of bringing and the gathering of his lost sheep, then all our missionary efforts would be completely hopeless. Hopeless. The ransomed children of God will be found everywhere and he says, I must bring them I must bring them. It's this divine authority that we see in the scripture when Jesus says, I have and I must and I will. It's the same divine authority that we see when Jesus gives the great, this great commission to his disciples. And he says, 
hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, because of that, you can go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I commanded them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, go, because I have all authority. Go, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age. I love that. All authority has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go. This is what unbounded grace does in our lives. Unbounded grace, when it reaches us, it has a ripple effects, and this has a ripple effect right here. It reaches into our hearts and lives, and it overflows across our dinner table, across the street in our neighborhood, to the hallways of our schools, to the co-worker at your office, throughout the city of Greenville, and through Fountain Inn, crossing state lines, and to the ends of the earth, because sheep are in other pastures, and the good shepherd wants them home. He says, I must I must. A lot of those sheep are in pastures far away. This right here is what considered as the 1040 window. Most of you have heard, seen, and know about this in Eastern Hemisphere between 10 and 40 degrees north of the equator. Did you know that here are the top 50 least evangelized mega cities? Are right here. Many of the countries in the 1040 window are closed or restricted to Christian work. Let me give you some stats about this area. 60% of the world population lives here. Majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and atheists. Approximately 3.1 billion people are without access to the gospel. There's 5 billion living in the 1040 area. And about 3.1 billion are without access to the gospel, a Bible, a church, or another believer. That should be concerning. But we have a problem. If you look at stats from 1950 all the way up to 2022, it makes you want to think, have we drifted away from this? Have we drifted away? Because according to what we see, we completely deploy or we continue to deploy our resources, most of them, to places already reached. As a matter of fact, this is the map where we see there's over 5 million um, full-time Christian workers in ministry. 95% of them are working in, Christian, in the Christian world in Christian places. Over 95% of seminary students, graduates, stay working in a Christian setting of approximately 435,000 missionaries serving in other countries less than 3% work among the unreached and underserved here's a map of our funding according to stats the trend of mission funding also is mind-blowing millions of dollars are given towards mission millions and millions and out of all the millions of dollars only 6% is allocated to missions. Millions of dollars are given to Christian costs, 6% to missions. Only 1% of that is allocated to the 3 billion unreached and underserved. So we continue to send the least amount of resources to the most populated and underserved areas of the world. That is a problem. That's a problem. Now, hear me out. I'm not here 
Praise God for the generosity of the Christian church. Praise God that there's, we're saturated in this area with over 600 churches. We praise God for that. We praise God for that. But all I'm saying is there's got to be something we can do to have a better balance of here and there because it's both end. It's both end. One answer to that is Frontline Missions International. I'll just tell you a little bit of what I do. I'm a director of church and constituent relations for them. And it's an organization that's been serving for 30 years. They are out of Taylor, South Carolina. And our passion is to advance the gospel in the world's difficult places. Difficult places meaning gospel destitute places of the world with little or no access to the gospel Gospel destitute. We focus specifically on the lost sheep in gospel destitute places. And there's three ways that we do that. Number one is we tell the big story. Get the privilege of speaking in a lot of churches and conferences and equipping the church, making the church aware of how God continues to advance his kingdom in difficult places. God continues to build his church. We don't hear a lot about that. But when Jesus says that he will build his church, he will build his church. And he continues to build his church, continues to do that. So we tell the big story through documentaries. Um, if you go to our website, we have movies, documentaries, we have books and things that equip the church, make the church aware, more knowledgeable of what God is doing. The second thing that we do is we want to equip gospel risk takers. What I mean by equipping gospel risk takers is we want to help people that have a desire for mission. We want to help them bridge that gap from a zeal, desire for mission, and actual experience and knowledge of missions. Because zeal without experience and knowledge is destructive cross-culturally. So we want to help them bridge that gap, and we do that through providing a two-step pr process. We have a two-month internship called FX Frontline Experience. The FX1 is two months, and the FX2 is two years. So we take... People between the ages of 20 to 35 from all over the nation, we bring them in. We work closely with their church leadership, and we take them through this process. We send them and put them on the field in one of these restricted access countries where we have families living there full time. And they get to experience that. They get to look through language, culture, ministry. And for two months, you are just getting a better idea of what this feels like. Because for most people, 10 days is their mission trip. Well, anybody can be excited for 10 days, and praise God. My first mission trip was to Guatemala. I would have never thought it would have led to this, what I'm doing now. So praise God. Short-term trips are valuable. But what I'm saying is that's the most of the experience. You stay there for four weeks, and you start dealing with some of the things that bug you about different cultures. And it gets magnified. And by week six, you're going, I want to go home. And we want to help you biblically walk through those emotions. And all the other emotions that come with being there past two months or within two months. By week eight, you're either saying, I want mommy, or you're saying, this is for me. What I mean by that is it allows you to deal with raw and real emotions. And what would you do with those? So we want to help people go from there to then FX2, which is our two-year process. At this point, you're looking at long-term possibilities. Long-term. Is this something that God is calling me to do? There are people that go through the process and say, this is not for me. And then we work with them in their church, and they end up 
going. And there's people that don't go. And well, guess what? Those are the ones that have been equipped and go back to their churches to mobilize and equip others. So either way, it's a win-win situation. FX1, FX2. So we want to, again, tell the story. We want to equip gospel risk takers. And the end goal is to send long-term workers. We have families working in over three, um, excuse me, families working in over 10 different countries, 12 different countries, three continents. We also work with additional 15 national um, leaders from that, those uh, other countries. But we focus in the 1040 window, and what we do there is we develop national leaders to plant churches that plant churches, Bible translation, distribution, radio station, children's camp, and other work. If you're interested in knowing more about Frontline Missions, my table's in the back there. There's a table there with some information. Just grab something or ask me any questions. I'll be glad to talk to you more about it. But just a little bit. There's another step. What can you do? Here's another step into something you can do. Because here's the thing. Zeal to see the Great Commission accomplished and for our king to return is takes goers and senders. Not everybody can go and not everybody is going to go. And that's okay. Not everybody should go cross-culturally. But it's going to take both. Goers. These are people that are gospel risk takers willing to lay down their life if it takes that going. And then it takes senders, rope holders on this side of the country that pray specifically, give purposefully, and send strategically. It takes both goers and senders. These are the bookends to that Great Commission seal. The bookends. So what about you? What about you? What is God asking you to do? Maybe somebody here, God's asking you to be a goer. Or maybe you take another step in being a sender, but we are all part of this. And the scripture ends with saying, and they will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice, which leads to our only application. We are his voice. There are other sheep. They must be reached, and we are his voice. The good shepherd is saying, I must and I will, because the sheep are mine. The sheep are mine. So we must go, you are my voice. They will hear through people. In 2014, 15, I found myself in Cambodia, little village in Cambodia. And as I found my, myself there, I was talking to about 15 guys. And I was sharing from John chapter 10, my testimony. And when I get to the words of Jesus, they stopped me and they said, what are you talking about? And I, I went back and I explained Jesus, the Son of God. And I went through the whole gospel presentation and they stopped me and they said, who are you talking about? And I finished my conversation as best as I could. And that night I went to my room and once again found myself in John 10 weeping, going, God, how can this be? I, I, there are people that may not be following Jesus, but to know people that have never heard of the name of Jesus, that's a whole different thing. They have never heard. And as I'm weeping there, I read down in John chapter 10 and get to this verse. John 10, 16. I have sheep that are outside of this pen. I must bring them also. And that's where I felt the hand grip of God. That's where I feel God bury my heart when it comes to missions for me. It is in places where the gospel has not been preached, where people don't know. We must come before God in prayer and we... You just got to ask, Lord, please increase our zeal to see the Great Commission accomplished and for our king 
to return. He invites us to be his voice in gathering the sheep. We see that in John 17 when he says, I do not ask of these for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Romans 10, 13-15, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Oh, how beautiful the feet of those who preach the good news. I'm going to leave you with this, Infinity Church. God in his grace has allowed you to see who he is and whose you are. This unbounded grace has come to you right here. And he's inviting you to be about the sheep that are scattered outside in different places to the ends of the earth. And he's saying, go find my sheep. What will you do? What will you continue to do? Is there something that you're already doing that you need to keep on doing or do it better? This is something that you have not done that you need to consider doing. But it takes goers and senders, and I just encourage you, do something, because I love this quote. Between the great things we cannot do and little things we will not do lies the danger of doing nothing. Nothing. He says, they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. What a beautiful view. One flock, one shepherd, which is what Revelation 7, 9 through 12 is about. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen and amen. There are other sheep. They must be reached. And we are his voice. Let us pray. Father God, once again, just small glimpse of your grace. Small glimpse of who you are and what your mission is. Father, the reality is, is that you are a going and sending God from Genesis to Revelation. Everything about your being it's about you approaching us before we could ever approach you, God. And you go, and then you sent, just like you sent your son Jesus, just like you sent the Holy Spirit, and just like you sent out your disciples to go and tell people about you. So now, Father, I pray, do what only you can do with this message. Stir hearts, 
Raise up people that will go, Father, and people that will send. May, Father, we co-labor in this great commission zeal, Father. May we do this, God, to your glory and to those sheep that have not heard of the King. God, they must, they must be brought home. Help us to be faithful to that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for what your son has done for us. Now may we do it to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.